Okay. Hello, everyone. Good evening, or good morning, or afternoon, depending on when you're listening to this. My name is Charles. I'm also known as Chaz Yazik, or the DM, or the Bard, however you may know me. And this is the 44th of hopefully many episodes of Bard Advice, a D&D slash TTRPG slash nerd culture podcast where I do my best to dispense advice and answer questions that you might send along to the podcast. So at the top of the hour, we like to remind everybody, if you would like to send a question to the show, please do so. Send it to bardadvice at gmail.com. It also looks like bardadvice. Any questions, concerns, queries, complaints, compliments, send them there. If you want to get merch, you can do so at manshorts.com. And if you would like to contribute to anything that I'm doing musically, you can do so directly via PayPal, Cash App, or Venmo, all of which are Yazik, Y-A-H-Z-I-C-K. Getting real close on the album. Um, I think I've got about... 10 of 15 done, done, done. So that'll be fun. Also, I would like to be remiss without mentioning our sponsor for this week. They will be our sponsor on this week's episode, um, but I would like to mention them as well because they're sponsoring this episode as well. It's going to be Mini Worlds Tavern. So if you don't know, Mini Worlds Tavern specializes in tabletop teas and coffee for game night. Um, my favorites of their coffee blends are the Homely House and the Dragon's Nest. My wife in particular really likes the Dragon's Nest. They also make lots of cool teas, my favorites of which are the Hazy Hills and the Nectarine Stream. But I also like the uh, Sacred Spring, which is the Cinnamon Hibiscus Tea. And they also have the Treasured Realm coffee. They only make, it's a limited run. They only make a thousand boxes of it a month. Each of those comes with a numbered card, a limited edition sticker, a D&D 5e magic item, and a set of dice. They have a giving back program where they donate a dollar of each bag sold to gamer-related nonprofits. So if you would like to get some coffee or tea for your upcoming game nights for the holidays, go to manyworldstavern.com. You can click the link in the description. The first 100 people to use the code MANSHORTS will receive 10% off their order. Hope that everybody is doing well and has had a good week. I've had a pretty good week. I got a haircut today, which is a nice thing. A spoiler alert, that's probably my good thing of the week, but it's been a thing that I've needed to do for a while and I've finally done it. For Art Corner this week, I would like to throw a little love to a local artist named Nick Fresh. Uh, Local being local in Jacksonville. So Nick Fresh is a... DJ, a producer, a radio host, and a music historian. He is on TikTok live on Tuesdays at 10 p.m., but he also has uh, stuff on Instagram. I've put the links to his stuff in the description of this video. And also locally, he kind of hops around different bars down in the Riverside area of Jacksonville, notably Birdies, Hop Tinger, and Hardwick's. So he's a really cool guy and definitely knows his stuff about music and uh, can host events and does it all. So go check him out, Nick Fresh. I've got his links in the description. Okay, so I think that that's all the house cleaning stuff that I want to do at the top of the hour before we get into some questions. Hello, everyone in chat. It's good to see everyone. You finished Airships of Nuada. Next one is Star Wars. That's true. Yes, Star Wars, unfortunately, didn't get finished. Cinnamon Hibiscus Tea is good. A friend of mine got some. Oh, yeah. Cinnamon Hibiscus. And perfect for this time of year, you know? All right, let's get into it. We've got some questions this evening that we'll talk about. So, oh, man. 
and I didn't do a list of names, but that's okay, because I did, I made extensive notes this week, so we're going to be okay. This first question's from Travis, and Travis asks, Hey Bard, so at my group's request, I'm putting together a one-shot for Halloween. I want to use a massive haunted mansion as the central location. It will start out as a murder mystery dinner that should hopefully devolve into their splitting the party a la Clue to solve the crime. My question is, how can I raise the stakes beyond simple tropes, traps, and mimics? Thanks for the content, and happy Halloween. Well, thank you for the question, Travis. That's fun. A one-shot? That is <laughs> a one-shot set in a haunted house. It does feel like that maybe could be a little bit limiting but i thought of some cool stuff so is there like there's like a murder mystery i guess something's happening where they need to solve a crime and obviously you want to split them as soon as you can so i made some notes for you for some ideas that could be helpful in that regard manipulation of time so i think that this is just good advice for dms in general when it comes to wanting to raise the stakes or raise the tension, a really easy way to do that is to manipulate time either with putting in some sort of a time limit. So there's some sort of an ethereal or unseen clock counting down to if you don't do this or solve this in this amount of time, then the mansion is going to be consumed in eternal darkness. The other way that's easy to do with manipulation of time is just simply altering their movement speed, which seems silly, but that's a way that you can, you know, you can extend travel time. Don't give Smarty and the party a time turner. <laughs> I would lean into the tropes hard, like have a vampire, a werewolf, bust out, Gollum, maybe have Cthulhu in the basement. The other thing I said, because like slowed, slowed movement is... I mean, imagine. It would drive the people like the Rogue insane. Cursed items, illusions, portals to travel to different planes or times. So that was my original thought when I read this question, was that, so, okay, you've got obviously multiple rooms if this is a giant manor. What if there's some sort of a portal or dimension door in some or all of the rooms such that they're not just maybe separated by floor, they're separated by plane or separated by time, where, you know, there's a portal in the attic that, that it's a time portal, so it sends you back to the manor, you know, 8,000 years ago. I was just, I've been reading, I don't know why 8,000, probably because I was reading about time dragons. The you could also do it with planes too, right? So like maybe there's a plane, there's a portal in the basement that sends them to a completely different plane where they're required to do something there to, you know, complete everything back in the original space. Maybe a treasure lost to time or even in time. A room where positions are randomized wherever lightning strikes. That's really cool, actually. The positions of the players. That would be really fun because like every round it would just kind of like everything would go random. Takes you back 24 hours. That's true, yeah. You don't even have to be separated by thousands of years. You could be separated by hours or minutes. And that would be complicated. It would require a little bit more building. But you can kind of combine those two ideas of the time building tension. Maybe it's a thing where people can go to a different plane or a different time to buy more time. So that could totally be a thing where it's just like they're collecting pocket watches or something. And every time they get one, it adds an hour of clock to <laughs> the time before 
the apocalypse or, you know, whatever the end game is of this one shot. Man, that's my favorite thing about one shots in general is that I'm so I'm way less afraid of character death in a one shot. I mean, obviously, you don't want your character to die and certainly not early on. But as opposed to doing a campaign where I know I'm going to be playing this character for several months or maybe years doing a one shot, it's just like all bets are off. Let's do whatever. Oh, somebody died, walk through the portal, go back 24 hours, and everyone remembers it. Yeah. That could be a cool thing, too, where it's sort of, uh, maybe they get caught in a loop. So maybe some of the portals just send them back to the the foyer, or just send them back to the front door. So it does. So that's a way, too, where it's wasted time. So like if everybody's movement speed is halved, and then they have to make their way through a manor, and then hopefully go through the right portal or dimension door that takes them to a different plane or time, or might just take them back to the front door... That's pretty cool. Isn't that kind of what happened with the first Blackmore module? Gotta have a clue sequence from the Tim Curry movie where the party's needlessly led around the manor over and over to waste time. Most definitely. Yeah, I think that you can accomplish that with the portals, too. And keep in mind, they don't have to be... You don't have to keep them anchored to the rooms per se. I mean, they can be there. But if you wanted to, you could just have one spontaneously appear. That'd be really funny. If somebody just, like, walked through a portal, you know, they, they failed a reflex save as they were walking through a hallway, and then it's like, oh, well, a portal appears in front of you, and you can't stop, you know, well, <laughs> you can't stop, so now you're in this other plane of existence. Could borrow from the new Goosebump show a time loop where each run-through creates an evil doppelganger. I haven't seen that new show. Is is just It's Justin Long in that, right? He shows up in the weirdest places. I mean, I don't, I don't have anything bad to say about him. I like the guy. Um, you know, he's always seemed like a fine enough actor for me, but it's just so random all the time with him. One-shot title, A Series of Misfortunate Events. <laughs> Groundhog episode, you did that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just sort of like a trigger that kind of starts it over. That's a cool thing. So something's probably in there for you, yeah? You could do Angels Take Manhattan. Angels Take Manhattan. I don't know what that is. I know Angels in the Outfield. I know the Muppets take Manhattan. It's like a before and after Jeopardy category. I have not ever played GURPS. I've been asked that question a lot. I probably should play it. Maybe the universe has been trying to tell me to play it, because I get asked that often. It's like a tavern where you keep going back in time until you meet a king who vanquished long ago. Oh, Blackmore. Cool. Yeah, that's kind of neat. So there you go. Travis, you, you, there's some there's some things for you that you could even say if you wanted to. They were a tip, uh, tip of the hat to like the OG TTRPGs. All right. Well, thank you for the question. The next question we have <laughs> is from Chris. Chris asks, Hi, Charles. Another Chris here. The guild is growing. I know you're a horror fan, and I was wondering if you'd gotten a chance to watch Fall of the House of Usher on Netflix. I think it's a fantastic modern take on some of Poe's best works. If you have seen it, I'd love to hear your thoughts. If not, you should check it out. Also, hello, fellow Chris's. Yeah, the legion of Chris's grows. Um, Fall of the House of Usher. So I did actually start watching that show a couple of nights ago. I have yet to finish it in its entirety. I th I'm about probably 20% of the way into the sixth episode. I will say I have really enjoyed it. It is, by the way, not for the kids, <laughs> anyone listening. It's pretty graphic. I, I do like how they're doing it, though. It is a really cool, interesting take because it's hard to do. That stuff doesn't always work when you try to take some sort of, you know, I, I think so much because like 
art and literature in particular, I think, is like such a reflection of a particular period of time. So it's not always timeless, but you know, obviously the greats, the 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 people that we consider to be like the greats of writers and musicians, etc., those that are remembered seem to last throughout time for a while. So I I don't know all of the stories. Well, for one, I don't know all of Poe's work. I've not read it all, although I've read a lot. And so some of the stories I wasn't really familiar with, and then some of them I was vaguely familiar with and had to refresh myself. So I would recommend if anybody's watching it to maybe brush up on some Poe, just read up on at least like what the stories are, the synopsis, the cliff notes of them. But a lot of them are short anyway. All of that's to say, I don't really know a lot of these cast members. My wife said that they were that a lot of these actors were from the haunting, the haunting a hill house or something. There's a lot of the same actors from there. And a gunslinger time walker who faced up to time and space. That sounds way cool. That's like a space. It's like Spike Spiegel meets Doctor Who. Doctor Spiegel. What were we just talking about? Oh, yeah, Fall of the House of Usher. I think it's good. I recommend it. As I said, not for kids, but adults out there, if you're looking for something spooky to binge, I think it's well made. Oh, and Mark Hamill is in it, by the way, and I forget that because he's very into his role. It's interesting, actually, seeing him. I, I like what I've seen so far, and I recommend that people check it out. If they like scary stuff, if you've got Netflix, that's something on there that's worth watching. I've enjoyed watching it. As a fan of horror, you should watch a playthrough of P.T. I have watched a playthrough of P.T., Egrichill. I've watched, uh, I watched the Grumps play it. <laughs> Although, that's not really a playthrough, as in the strictest sense. It's not somebody who was actually taking it seriously, you know. They're usually, they're just there for the memes. Grumps is like a splinter in my mind I can't forget. I know something's going to happen that will make it relevant someday, and I'm always missing it. Yeah, it might be. I need to look into that more. Maybe I'll look into that and we can talk about it later. Wheel of Time on Prime, I've not seen it, but I keep, I continue to hear good things. And in fact, there's a guy on TikTok I follow that I really like and respect his opinion. And he said the other day that he thinks it's better than Game of Thrones. Now, to be fair, I, I was very disappointed with the end of Game of Thrones anyway. But... At its peak, oh man, when Game of Thrones was like season six, forget about it. It was so cool. It was like a worldwide event. So to hear that it's better than that, and I mean probably, right? I mean, it's just another one of those major fantasy books from back in the day that I didn't I didn't get into. It's probably really dense. And, you know, I'm sure there's going to be creative license with differences from the books. So, Did you miss the Jags brags from Thursday Night Football? <laughs> no, I've not talked about that. But listen, I'm not going to be bragging per se because I still think we can definitely make some improvements. I'm really happy to see Travis Etienne performing well. He's doing great. In fact, he's he's now tied, I think, with McCaffrey for touchdowns, Russian touchdowns. I think they're I think that Mostert from Miami has more, but I mean, he's in the top 3 or 4 runners in the league. Trevor Trevor looked fine. I I worry about our ability to finish games because we play so quickly, our offense is just like pow 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 pow, and we are getting better. 
that is working more efficiently each time we go. But when it gets to be like late third quarter, we start shutting down. <laughs> and, you know, the, it, we can't afford, you know, the Saints have their own issues on offense, which honestly, you know, a lot of that win, not a lot of it, but we can't l- rule out that a good portion of that win was because, you know, this poor tight end just just dropped, just didn't catch the ball. But, yeah, we can't afford to do that in the playoffs. So we need to, I think, our our defense is fine. I'm not worried about our defense at all. Josh Allen, our Josh Allen is the best Josh Allen. That's how I feel. I think our defense is fine. But we need some some tinkering on, on on the offense. But I'm not mad. I'm not complaining. I'm happy with a win. A win's a win's a win. We're five and two. You know, I think that we can beat Pittsburgh next week, and then we've got to buy. Uh, 49ers are, are maybe not as concerning as they were two weeks ago, but still concerning. We've got a lot of talent on that team. So, really wish they hadn't canceled Emerald City. They cancel all kinds of good stuff. They canceled winning time, which is just astonishing to me. And it was such a slap in the face for them to, you know, the creators must feel awful because the way that they had to end it was essentially just like with text that was like, and then all of the cool stuff happened after this. So they round, it's like, what? We don't even get to see the best stuff? I mean, it was great what they did, but. Okay. Let's keep it moving. Thanks for the question, Chris. Next question is from Amanda. And Amanda asks, Howdy from Texas. First off, I love all the man shorts and Yazik videos. I really miss the No Big Banana podcast. Oh, Justin will be thrilled to hear that. I've never personally played D&D. The majority of my friends in high school and college played D&D, Magic, or WoW. I would always sit around and intently watch them play and hang out, but never participate. I've always wanted to play, but I've always been shy to the point of hiding in a corner. As I've gotten older, my social anxiety has gotten worse. Any advice on how to get through it and find a group to play with? And also, where can I find a group to play with that would be very patient with someone like me? Thank you for any advice you can offer. Well, thank you for the question, Amanda. I can't recommend enough that you play the game. As somebody who was reluctant to do it all those years ago, I'm happy that my buddies convinced me to just do it because it's super way fun. In my experience as a gamer and an artist, I think that it's I think it's in the converse it's in a short list conversation of activities and games where you have maximum agency. So you can kind of make the game whatever you want, the character whatever you want. To that end, it's all about collaboration. So I made some notes. And the first thing that came to my mind was VTTs, like virtual tabletops, playing online on like Roll20. I actually put a link to, um, I think it's called Start Playing Dot Games. But there's a link to it in the description. It's kind of it's a website, and I'm sure that there are others like it where you can kind of just see what games are available because 
in my experience, people are always looking to play. Even if people are already playing, they're, they're, they're happy to play another game if you want to do that. So online is where I would start first, just because to your point about social anxiety, and while I've never really dealt with it personally, or rather I deal with it in a different way, I guess, my wife suffers from social anxiety. And I would say that the first thing that's most important is your level of comfort. And so that's why I recommend online first, because if you're home or if you're at your house, then you're automatically already like 100% more comfortable than you would be if you were out somewhere, either at somebody else's house or at like a local game store, etc. So online is good. If you're not so worried about like location um, or you know, if you don't want to go with the route of doing it online with strangers, you know, you can always turn to friends and family. Although I will say it's tough to, if they're not already into it, but I mean, you said that you had a lot of friends that were into it. Why don't you, why not hit some of them up? Um, I said, I said in my notes to communicate that you have the anxiety because that information is going to help people it's going to manage expectations for the party and for the session and the campaign or whatever it is, but it's also going to help them help you, them being the DM and the rest of the party. Because in my experience, everybody's playing D&D because they want to have fun. That's the top priority. Very few people that I've run into in the space as you know a player of 15 plus years and somebody who's been making content about it for nearly a decade... I I could I could count on one hand if pressed the number of people I've run into that were judgmental. Most people in the space in the community are really accepting. In fact, this one this one might blow you away. A lot of people in the community have social anxiety. It seems counterintuitive because this game is such reliant on like communicating with other people, but there's a lot of you know there's a lot of anxious people in nerd spaces. <laughs> That's just how it is. Um, I would say that people are very very rarely thinking about you at all. Most people are thinking about themselves because that's what you're thinking about is yourself. And even even less people, if they're even thinking about you, are judging you or are, you know, expecting something from you. So I would say to try and go into it with an open mind and try and make yourself as comfortable as possible, whether that's doing it online because you kind of have full agency there with, you know, you don't even have to have camera if you want to just do audio. You you know, if it's really bad where you don't really want to communicate like or, you know, talk or you could just do like text-based games. I'm sure that tons of those exist, like Discord servers and stuff for that. Let me see what some of the stuff is that chat is saying. <laughs> Ron says, imagine all the monsters are naked. <laughs> That's kind of funny. I'm very judgmental of D&D. Oh, well, hey, here you are. So, do you do go and hang out and watch your friends play and try to get involved, get anxiety? Hmm. Well, not that I would be one that would recommend that you do anything, you know, related to cannabinoids. <laughs> but that's always great for anxiety. 
But yeah, even if you were to embarrass yourself or do something that you thought would be embarrassing, that's usually the best stuff of the campaign. That's usually the funniest stuff. And it's usually not in a judgmental way because like, what's the worst that's going to happen? Like, you're not going to know what to do. Nobody really cares because at one point they didn't know what to do. So nine times out of 10, somebody's just going to be like, oh, do this. And they'll just show you and they don't care. And then as for like doing something embarrassing with your character, I always go into a game like with the goal of making other people laugh or at a minimum, like bringing levity to stuff that's going on and just kind of like making it fun. I know that Jay is like that a lot. He makes his characters fun and memorable and does kooky stuff like that's the best stuff. So I wouldn't worry about it. Probably overthinking it. Avram says, at my table, only requirement is when it's your turn, you need to be ready to take your turn. No doubt, dude. Answering the real questions. It's, it's, I'm looking at you spellcasters like, that don't know what you're casting. Oh, man. It gets to be like the wizard's turn, and it's like their first time playing the game. Oh, well, so what do I have here? It's like, come on, man. I mean, I get it. Barbarian is pretty much just, you know, swing and hope to hit, but... Oh, spellcasters. The best inside jokes in our friend group is from a player misspeaking or doing something funny. Yeah, most definitely. Like nat ones and, you know, somebody somebody misspeaking and then it causing a problem. Oh, and another thing I thought, too, that might benefit you is uh, watching other people play. Uh, specifically places like the ones like Critical Role. And then what's that other one? It's Dimension 20 with the other guy, the Robert Downey Jr. guy. What's that guy's name? Br uh, uh, Mulligan, Brandon, Brandon Lee Mulligan. That's great because it's, you know, you get to see real people playing and how they're kind of communicating. So, you know, something else that might be helpful for you. Okay. Let's keep it going. <laughs> no shade on sorks or wizards, but it's just, you know. That's my experience as someone who usually goes like fighter barb. Because, again, when it gets to be my turn, it's just like, okay, I'm swinging my axe. It's very easy. I don't have anything to think about. All righty. Let's keep barreling on through, team. We got a few more questions this evening. This next question is... From Nick? Yes, from Nick. And Nick asks, I'm a level five cleric in a party of seven. Recently, some RP stuff led to my character abandoning his life domain for another. This was done with the permission of the DM. In fact, it was mostly her fault that it happened. Anyway, my character has developed an interest in necromancy, and it serves the story for him to use it. So my question is... Should I go grave or death domain? Thank you for the question, Nick. I gotta be honest, I don't know a heck of a lot about clerics, but I looked into it based on your info that you've provided. And as for going death or grave, they are... First of all, I, I'll commend you on saying that those are probably your two best options in changing a domain. And... As far as I know, there's not any mechanics for changing it, but, you know, the DM is the ultimate mechanic. So if the DM is, it's, and it sounds like the DM kind of like <laughs> may or may not have railroaded this or at a minimum, you know, contributed to it happening. So let's see. 
uh, right off the bat, Avram says grave if you're going to avoid turning evil. <laughs> uh, Mark says always go full necromancer. Build the skeleton army. Okay, so let's talk about the death and the grave domains. Because I was looking at them, and they have a lot of similarities. So, the you get both of them get false life at level one. Uh, death gets bonus proficiency. Grave gets circle of mortality. So, if you you gain the ability to manipulate the line between life and death, what you would normally roll one or more dice to restore hit points with a spell. Oh, that's right. You take the max. So you take the max hit points, which is actually really nice. And you learn Spare the Dying. But, keeping in mind, at first level, Death Domain, you get a Necromancy cantrip, which could be Spare the Dying. Also, in the Grave Domain, you get the ability, at first level, you get the ability to occasionally sense undead. And then at second level, you can channel divinity to mark another creature's life force for termination, which is pretty insane. And you get Sentinel at Death's Door at sixth level, which is you impede death's project, uh, progress. Oh, yeah, you can change a critical hit into a normal hit, which is so insane. I said that overall... Okay, so yeah, so with death, also you get channel divinity, touch of death. Um, you get in, inescapable destruction at level six with the death domain, which uh, lets you channel negative energy. Necrotic damage does more damage. So I put basically for what my opinion is on it overall is that grave domain seems to be more about utility for the party or just utility as like a role player. So, because grave grave domain kind of capitalizes on existing death, whereas the death domain brings death, if that makes sense. So, like a grave domain is like, is there death around? Because we could take advantage of that. Whereas the death domain is like, here's some death, <laughs> right? So, I think that knowing those things, it comes down to what you want your character to do. In a party of seven. It might serve you being the grave domain. You know, that's a real MVP move, being able to change a critical hit to a regular hit and, you know, given max heals. That's really helpful. And being able to detect undead, because that's what you get with grave at first level. That's pretty cool. You're like a zombie alarm. Essentially. You're like a zombie detector, I guess. But that's pretty neat. Whereas with Death Domain, you get stuff like, you know, Touch, touch of Death, where you're doing extra ne necrotic damage. And then Inescapable Destruction, where, like, necrotic damage avoids resistance. Or rather, ignores resistance. Pretty crazy stuff. But it seems like Grave would be more about... Forge cleric and bring back a, a bring back a la Robocop style. There's a couple of really good necromancer guide videos on YouTube that explains how to maximize your undead army. Very helpful. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's a good idea too. I don't think Oathbreaker should have undead. It's not a death knight. Instead, I think Fiend should be sent 
after the fallen paladin based on a role similar to wild magic. Oh, that's kind of neat. Yeah. It is it does seem kind of silly to me that it's all just kind of one thing because I feel like the paladin you know, the idea of a paladin being evil was just kind of like you know, paladins are associated with like lawful good. At least they always were up until that didn't really matter. Does alignment even matter at all anymore, by the way? Okay, we're now we're getting into what kind of PC characters what you do have to react. True. I do think that it is going to matter what you want your character to do within the party. And within a party of seven, it's not always easy to be the a superstar DPS, if that's what you want to do. Only because if you got seven, you probably got a fighter or a barb or two in there. Even if you got a rogue, you're probably going to be taking up a lot of that economy when it comes to that dealing damage so you may want to go grave just for like i said being able to be really clutch in those moments where it's like oh well look the barbarian would have died had he taken this critical hit but i changed it to regular damage so now the barbarian was able to survive goal is to control the most number of undead on the highest hit dice goal is lichdom and godhood in that order i suppose question reminds me of the shorts PHP PSA with Necro Larry who puts the romance back in Necromance. So I think that there's an answer in there somewhere for you, Nick. Um, and as a level five, you know, I think that your level six ability, which is what you'll be getting shortly. Well, I don't know. You might have just leveled up, but still, that'll be a good decision maker for you as well. And the character being interested in necromancy, too. Yeah, that's, I think, something you might want to look into as to why that is. That might be something that the DM has not told you if they're guiding this. Or it could be a thing where you, that you haven't really decided. But, you know, it all kind of ties in. Backstory. Backstory is important. Alrighty. So, so, thank you for the question. Let's keep moving. Uh, this next question is from Manus the Mad DM. And Manus asks, Hello again, Chaz. Every year for Halloween I do a one-shot with my party, usually trying a new system and playing something with a scary concept. Anyway, one of my players expressed interest in playing a campy 80s slasher flick, coincidentally my favorite genre of horror. Yeah, mine too. But I have no idea on how to start building a one-shot like that. Any suggestions for how to actually create a bit of tension and make it fun? Obviously follow the rules or of don't show your bad guy, etc. But that's almost all I've got. Thanks in advance. Thank you for the question, Manus. I love the idea of this with the one-shot and the 80s. I made some notes about this because this is really the kind of stuff that, see, you know, this is my favorite time of year, talking about D&D. It's good stuff. Start with a setting. That's going to probably be, aren't we all mad DMs? We all, we're all mad down here. Starting with a setting because that is going to fill in a lot of blanks for you for the rest of the story. So you're always good to go with like a, a summer camp, secluded cabin or a farmhouse out in the woods. You could do a mansion. We talked about that earlier, but I don't know how much well that works for an 80s slasher. If you were going to do something modern like in a city, 
you could turn to something like Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan for inspiration, <laughs> which, by the way, is, in my opinion, I still think is the best volume of the series. It'd be better if it's more spread out in a place like out in the woods with a cabin. You could treat it, if you wanted to, you could treat it like a game of werewolf where one one person is the killer and every so often every so you know certain number of rounds or certain amount of time like every 15 minutes or something everybody kind of has to put their head down and then the person who's the killer taps somebody out that's dead and so then it's kind of like a mystery thing that's a thing that builds tension because it's like well you know any one of us could be taken out because we still don't know who the killer is GURPS Horror Rules. Most important trait ever is genre blindness. You don't know you're in 80s you're in, you don't know you're in an 80s slasher horror situation. Oh, true. Well, I mean that's what they know, that's what they want, right? That's what the party's asking for, so they're kind of expecting it. I would say that you could even go as far if you wanted to having each of them play one of the tropes. So, you know, get somebody that's like the jock or like the survivor girl or the stoner you know, all the different tropes from those kind of films as well. A group of teens dare each other to spend the night in a haunted house. Tell your party it's a Scooby-Doo style game and then pull the rug when the first character is murdered. Uh, cabin by a lake. Cabin has a lower basement. Woods around, depending on your time limit, you have lots of environment. Yeah, most definitely. When you have something like a farmhouse out in the woods, and something that comes to mind is the film Behind the Mask, the, the legend of Leslie Vernon which, by the way, is an excellent film if people haven't seen it. But it essentially is kind of like a play on going behind the scenes of these type of slashers and, you know, obviously the different tropes of characters, but as well as having the right environment. So the idea of like a secluded farmhouse in the woods or even like maybe like an abandoned mill or something out in the woods where there is... There's not really anywhere to go to. There's nowhere to really flee. But there are lots of places to go. Like with something like a summer camp, there's tons of different cabins and buildings and stuff. You could also do like an island. That There's a, there's a place that's not easy to escape or leave if you needed to. Anyway, what did I say? Okay, so the werewolf thing, you could do that. Um, Accusate, yeah, doing the werewolf thing would be fun because you've got like accusations flying around and the party's like getting smaller and smaller. You could, you could, you as the DM could control a couple of those characters with NPCs too. So maybe you don't even have to do the werewolf thing per se, where you've just kind of got in your head like, okay, you know, 10 minutes in, this person's going to turn up dead, you know, in the. Uh, in the shed or something. You know what I mean? Um, also, I said help. something that would help you a lot is determining kind of from the get-go or as, uh, as early as you can, like, is the BBEG one, is, you know, the, is the monster of this one shot one killer slasher or is it multiple? And maybe a little bit of their backstory, at least like what their incentive is. Just because I think that that kind of helps guide stuff and then make sure you set up traps such that they can't easily flee the immediate area so in a situation like where you're in the woods you know somebody gets the bright idea where like oh well i'm just gonna go run for help and it's like nope bear trap or like you know the ground's a mimic whatever and music is always good for tension 
So if you want to make a good Halloween one-shot, you're going to need a killer playlist. Oh, man. This is why they pay me the big bucks. I That sounds so fun, too, by the way. And we've done a slasher edition, and it went about how you would probably expect it to if you've not seen it. But that's all to say... Didn't they've made games that are like that where it's like what it says like Dead by Daylight and then they even I think they did a Friday the Thirteenth game where you know one person is the slasher and everybody else is trying to escape him that I think could work really well with pen and paper but to the point earlier that I spoke when we got the the first question of the episode we got from Travis about the mansion and building tension. Even if you have a limited physical space, there are those kind of magical things that you can do to kick that up. And I mean, that can be just as something as simple as like cursing the land. And so it's like everybody's movement speed is halved. And that's just what it is. And maybe there's something that they can do that could let them go faster. Maybe even like abilities that they could have that they could use to avoid being slow or whatever. Island Resort where it's a modern zombie or Agatha Christie sounds like a fun one shot. Take every single player aside separately and get all of them to be the secret killer that betrays the party. That's really fun. That would be really, that would be chaos. Just be like killing each other. What about an after hours haunted house where each section is a character's biggest fear? Yeah, I dig that. I've always been a big fan of kind of trying to capitalize on people's fears as, you know, specifically, like when it comes to those kind of things. So it's like, okay, we're doing a Halloween one shot where it's it's going to be spooky and we're going to freak people out. And it's like, I've I've spoken before about the idea for Nightmare City where you've just got a bunch of wizards casting weird in front of people. Because to that point, you know, what scares people, everybody's a little bit different, I'd say. So that could be a cool thing that you could do prior to the session is you could get a list of all of the players fears IRL as well as their characters fears. Just so you can kind of maybe play into that as to things they experience with them. Sorority house screaming from lots of different rooms. Party find sending stone call is coming from a nearby, like a modern phone. Yeah, the call is coming from inside the house. House of slashing, everyone's a serial killer. Yeah, that's funny too. That that could totally be a thing where it's just like maybe maybe the players are the slashers. Difference is nobody knows each other as a killer. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds fun and you know ripe for chaos. Leatherface for cheapers creepers. There's a tales from the crypt ending. As Jay sunk into the floor, he realized too late the ground was a mimic. Oh, yeah. That would be really fun. Or like a boat dock turned into a mimic. That'd be really funny if you like... You know, because a lot of those movies, in particular the Friday the 13th ones, they tend to end on or around a dock. So that that just would be really funny because, you know, usually the trope is that it's like, oh, okay, we got rid of him. Jason, he's dead. He's finally, we're sinking into the lake. And then he like pops out and grabs your ankle as you're standing on the dock. What if just like the dock, it just turned into a mimic and just ate you. <laughs> it was just like, yeah, that was it. Yeah, they were all slashers. Okay, cool. Jay and Justin were slashers and Sarah switched at the end. Yeah. Well, Sarah tends to kind of just do whatever she wants. Yeah. Love Island, but scarier. Yeah, you don't even have to be on like a physical island either. You know, even with the mansion, if you wanted to, within the mansion, you could just kind of lock them in so they can't really get out. But yeah, any of that. Oh, and music. The yeah, that I I mean I set all of that up for that 
goofy pun, but that is true. Music can definitely set the mood, change the mood, add tension. You got halfway away on a boat, then twist the boat, and then the boat is a mimic. Yeah, the boat, the boat's a mimic. All right. So we've got one more question this evening, and then I guess that we can do a little chat chat. Uh, Oh, I'm actually excited to talk about this. So let's get into it. This last question of the evening is from Gary. And Gary asks, Not a D&D question, but a few times you've made jokes about no one listening to Bard Advice caring about sports. But I do. Aside from the NFL, I'm also an NBA fan and wanted to hear your thoughts on the upcoming season. Picks for the finals? Also, since Jacksonville doesn't have a team, do you root for Miami or Orlando? Well, thank you for the question, Gary. I'm always excited to talk about basketball. I'm a big basketball fan. I'm glad to hear that, you know, at least one person out there, and I know that there are a couple of other people that are in the bar dad community that are sports fans. So I'm really, really excited about this upcoming NBA season. It starts next week. I believe opening day is Tuesday, 24th, and we've got Nuggets, Lakers, Warriors, Suns. And those games actually, at least one, if not both, will be available on HBO Max. Not like they're a sponsor or anything, but it's notable because it's usually really hard to find. It's gotten even it's gotten harder and harder over the years to just find regular season NBA games to watch without some kind of, you know, NBA pass and as somebody who doesn't really have much of a team because i know that you asked about that i'm more of a players guy the 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 league pass thing doesn't really make any sense because it's like 14 dollars a year for one team you know i know that we're also in the middle of like baseball playoffs but i mean honestly i'll be frank you couldn't pay me to care about baseball i i've never understood it i've you know more power to the people i get it it's like some historical pastime but i just don't get it basketball on the other hand Okay, so let's talk about it. So this I made this. I made this little thing here. So this is these are my thoughts for what we're going to be looking at deep into the playoffs towards the end of the year. Over on the I I think that the most likely scenario for the championship game is going to be Nuggets and Celtics, but it could be any kind of combination of these things here. You've got the East and the West teams. I think that the the Celtics are obviously going to be crazy since they've added Drew Holiday. The Milwaukee Bucks are obviously going to be crazy with Damian and, and Giannis playing, and they were also able to retain Chris Middleton. The Miami Heat aren't going anywhere. They've not you know they've still got a lot of the same talent. The Washington Wizards, I would not count out in the East, just because I think Jordan Poole has got a big chip on his shoulder, and I'd be interested to see how he and Kyle Kuzma are doing together. They've been playing well. There's a lot of talent, young talent on the Detroit Pistons, as well as the Charlotte Hornets, so they're you know teams to look out for. But I really think that from the East, we're either going to see, I think it's going to be one of the three of Boston, Milwaukee, or Miami. Then in the West, I feel like the Lakers should always be in the conversation, like AD if he can stay healthy, and then of course LeBron's still playing. Uh, you know, Austin Reeves has been doing well. Golden State is still, of course, a problem for the league because Steph Curry is as clutch as he ever was. I saw him doing something the other night, just being crazy, hitting this like half court shot or whatever for the win. Um, and then you know, adding Chris Paul. You can't count out the Spurs. You really can't count the Spurs out ever, but most certainly now with Victor Wimbanyama, if he can stay healthy, he's going to be a force 
Phoenix has got, obviously, KD, Devin Booker, and they've added Bradley Beal in the offseason. And don't sleep on Bradley Beal now. And then the the Portland Trailblazers, which I feel like might be the least talked about team. And, I mean, they've got, they're so deep, that team. The Portland Trailblazers, it is just like, I mean, DeAndre Ayton, Robert Williams, Scoot Henderson, who was the second pick, who I'm sure has a chip on his shoulder about everybody talking about Victor Wembanyama all the time. You know, they've got that guy, uh, Anthony Simons, I think is his name, Shaden Sharp. They've got a lot of players there. Oh, and Malcolm Brogdon, too, they added from Boston. So there's a lot of talent in Portland. I would not count them out at all. Those are my thoughts on the NBA play, uh, or rather the upcoming NBA season. And like I said, I don't really have much of a team. I'm like more of a player guy. So I would say that if I really like... I've always kind of liked the Suns, to be honest, just in general. And it'll be interesting to see if, if Bradley Beal is able to make the difference with them. And on that note, it is time for Chat Chat. Yeah, we always just kind of like fall into it, but that is true. So we are in Chat Chat, so we can talk about anything. We don't have to talk about sports or basketball. We can talk about good things of the week. I got a haircut. That's a good thing of the week that happened to me. What else happened to me? I made good progress on the album this week, I suppose. I don't know. I'm always doing something. I've got to do some yard work and editing tomorrow. Used to work with a guy from Pittsburgh. Made money betting against the Pirates. Avram has something. Oh, interesting. Oh, that's true. Avram did mention that had something to share with chat. You got a haircut too. That's cool. An iron infusion. Well, that's good. I mean, I assume it's good. London, Ontario. Oh, yeah. From Canada. From Canada, our neighbors to the north. What else happened? What else is good going on? People got good stuff going on out there? Everybody having a good week? Having a good time? So, friends took you out to dinner for an early birthday celebration. Oh, man. Happy birthday, Chris. When is your birthday? You said early. Is your birthday on Halloween? How cool would that be, man? I wish my birthday was on Halloween. Although, it does feel like a thing that, like, it sounds kind of neat on paper, I guess, but I feel like in practice it would be like, oh, well, everybody would forget it because it's like, oh, your birthday's on Halloween. Took a grippy sock vacation last week. Things are phenomenally better now. Got a 4x4 Traxxas Slash RC truck and 50 bucks for fixing an old man's AC in his car. Oh, that's cool. Oh, our, <laughs> that's cool. That song is going to be on the album. Yeah, I've not I've not released the actual track listing for it, but I've put it together. And uh I'm looking forward to to getting that done with cuz as I said, I've got probably 10 of the 15 done. So I've got a little bit more to write. And then after that, it's going to just pretty much just be recording. Uh, a $350 truck that does 50 to 60 miles an hour. Oh, an RC car does that? Or an RC truck, I guess. You got asked to run a game of Tales from the Crypt for Halloween. So that's been, oh, so you've been working on that in your spare time. That sounds fun. Hoping to get, trying to see... 
Oh, I missed it. The 25th, Dirty 30. Oh, dude, you're going to love your 30s. I lo- I've loved my 30s. Way more enjoyable than my 20s. Not that I didn't have a great time in my 20s, but it's just, I don't know. I feel like in your 30s, things kind of start to slow down a little bit. Or maybe it's likely just because you get more used to dealing with the chaos that is life. So, yeah, I've enjoyed my 30s. Good on you. That'll be fun. Oh, no. Sorry to hear that. Back doesn't love it. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Oh, man. The kind of sounds that I make getting in and out of bed or like doing any kind of thing strenuous. Just like, am I 60 years old or am I 36? I don't know. Do I record at home? Yes, I do. I record from this very microphone, actually. Now, not everything. Some stuff I do, uh, you know, I've got a couple of local guys that I'll go to, but for the most part, I just do it. You know, this mic has been one of the better investments I think I've ever made, this Shure SM7B mic. And again, not a sponsor, just a really good product. It is not cheap because you do need to get like the cloud lifter and stuff, and you probably need, you know, you need an interface if you want to do it into a PC. So you're probably looking to spend between like 500 and 600 bucks. But I don't know. I've had this mic for going on six or seven years now. That's great. Your 30s is you getting to do all the things you wanted to do as a kid, but now you have your own money to do. So, yeah. Which is, by the way, a good and a bad thing. That's a blessing and a curse. Because it's like, yeah, on the one hand, you can do all the stuff you always wanted to do. But then on the other hand, you can, you know, <laughs> waste money on, like, DraftKings and stuff. Um, as far as beats and stuff go, I don't make my own. I, I've never really had, I think, a very strong grasp of percussion, at least from a production standpoint. So I've always, you know, I'm good with like melodies and stuff, but uh, I've never really understood percussion. That's all to say, like, most of my beats, I've got people that have been, you know, I've got guys like Anhouse who have been making me beats from the beginning. And, you know, my mixtape that I released in 2013. Those were all beats that I just downloaded off the internet that, you know, that that mixtape has not made any money. So those are all just beats that were kind of out there and not really being used. And the other beats is just from producers that I've met online, people reaching out and wanting to do stuff. And obviously, like, the more stuff I do and the more people hear my stuff, the more people will hit me up and be like, hey, we've got a beat that you want to do, etc. My thoughts on using a timer to add tension to a game. Well, that I was talking about just that earlier. I think it's fine. You mean like a physical actual timer, like an egg timer? I don't know. I I have I have like I don't know if it's I don't know if it's full on misophonia, but I have visceral reactions to loud <laughs> like startling sounds. So that might drive me insane. But if you're talking about just like in the RP aspect, I think that's way cool. I think it's cool to make sure that everybody's on notice that it's like you only have so much. That actually happened to us recently in Baldur's Gate 3. There's um, no spoilers, right? But like essentially there's a thing where it's like you have a limited number of rounds to do the thing. That actually happens a couple of times throughout where it's like, all right, you got three rounds. And it's like, 
that's that stuff's real tension building stuff. If as the DM you're like, hey, you have five rounds to do this, or you know, one of you is gonna have to be sacrificed to <laughs> to the Dark Lord or whatever it is. That's I think that's cool. Use little hourglass timers. Oh yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, the little um the little hourglasses. You can probably just get one of those on Amazon, but they use them in board games. That's a cool way to do it without like making a bunch of noise. If you ever want to get I played percussion from the second grade to high school, but still don't understand anything besides bang bang bang. You read uh, Baldur's Gate three should be hit Xbox by the end of the year. It really needs to. I don't know what the deal is with that. And then, you know, even once that happens, we're going to have to wait for crossplay. And I don't even know if it's going to be fully crossplay or if it's just going to be crossplay between PC and PS5. Do I think a round should be longer than six seconds? I don't know. Six seconds does seem sort of like ancillary. It does seem like it just kind of was like, uh, this is what it is. You could argue maybe that putting it into an increment of 10 seconds might make things easier, but does it really matter much, I think, for flavor or if you're someone who is, you know, in that situation where time matters, in which case, you know, as the DM, you're kind of at your leisure to handle that however you want to. So, like, you don't necessarily have to limit your time to in-game rounds converting to, you know, we talked earlier about, like, if you wanted to just, like, curse the ground that they were on such that it lowered their movement speed or slowed time, then you've just got a little hourglass on the table that you just say, okay, like, until this runs out, your movement speed is slowed or whatever. Post some pics of it on the Discord. I think for some reason it's not on Xbox because we're still trying to work out some split screen stuff or something. Yeah, it has to do, it's got to have to do with, like how far away you can be from people or something. I don't know. Hi, Shagai. Yeah, we were just talking about Baldur's Gate 3. I have indeed. I've got a couple of different runs going. I'm probably furthest along in my Dark Urge run. It's great. I highly recommend it. If you're not able to get it at the moment because of cost or availability, because, you know, some people just can't do it if they're on Xbox, um... I, you have my full blessing to get the game when you can, and if you've got PS5 and and or PC and you can afford to get it and you don't, I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> but I think that most people have it and are playing it, and I think it's awesome. Got to think about how many actions can you take in, in 10 seconds. That's true. You have four runs and only one. Just got to act. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm kind of that way, too. I'm a little bit spread thin because I've got like a druid run and I've got like a dark urge run and then one that I'm doing with my buddies. And then once we get to we're getting towards the end. Eh, I don't know. We're probably like 65 or 70 percent of the way through. I don't know. We've we've only been in act three for a little while. So I'm sure that there's still lots more to do, but it's awesome. I highly recommend it. All right, team. We're here at the end again. I can't believe it. Went by quickly as usual. These hours, they go by quicker each week. Before we get out of here, let's remind everyone again of the email, partofice.gmail.com. Please send questions, concerns, queries, complaints, compliments, criticisms, 
all of the above to bardadvice at gmail.com. It also looks like bardadvice. If you want to get some merch, you can do so at manshorts.com. If you'd like to contribute to anything that I'm doing musically, notably my third album, Organized Lightning, you can do so directly via PayPal, Cash App, or Venmo, all of which are Yazik, Y-A-H-Z-I-C-K. I hope that everybody has a fantastic weekend. I will be here next week, same bard time, same bard channel, 10 p.m. Eastern standard time on the man shorts youtube channel the audio for this podcast will be available tomorrow saturday at 12 p.m eastern and i will be back next week so thank you all for joining i hope that you have a fantastic evening and we'll see you next time